book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're talking these days about the Sermon on the Mount, a new way to live. I'm sure that whenever Jesus gave these, these words to his disciples, uh, they had a hard time assimilating them, but, you know, in every age, uh, we have to assimilate them again. We're going to begin reading a verse number 9 of Matthew chapter 6. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'd like to talk to you this morning about praying for God's will to be done in your life. When I reflect upon my Christian life and as I really became serious with the Lord when I was about 18 years of age, uh, that was the driving force before my life. I want to discover the will of God. I want God's will to be done in my life. And uh, throughout the years, I've had to be drawn back to that purpose time and time and time again. But here in what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, I think we have a good uh, outline uh, for living and for praying. The Lord's Prayer is not a magical formula. It's not something that we just pray and uh, our commitment to prayer is over for the day just because we pray this short little prayer. Uh, it's a good design to pray and it's a good design to live. Let, me set, let us just kind of set the setting this morning. Let's say, for instance, you're, you're a brand new Christian. You, you don't know the book of Matthew from the book of Revelation. And uh, you're starting to read through the book of Matthew and you, um, you come to all those red letters in your Bible. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins to talk about prayer, and he says, listen, I don't want you to pray like the hypocrites. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard that. Because the hypocrites like to do it to be seen by people, to have the applause of men and women. Uh, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go into a room and close the door and pray to me in private. Because it's only in private that we can really be honest with God, can I mean, we can shut the door, we can speak to the Lord in ways that he can understand, and uh, we're not embarrassed. He said, I want you to go into a private place. And when you go in there to pray, I don't want you to just be um, repeating words. I don't want you to be uh, just babbling on, just to say, okay, I did so much time in prayer. Uh, he tells us where to pray, he tells us how to pray, and then when we get down here to verse number 9, which where we are today, he says, listen, now this I want you to do. This is how I want you to pray. Now, the word prayer there in verse number 9 is a command. It's uh, what we call present imperative. That means that it's something we're to do because the Lord commanded us to do it. And we're to do it uh, repetitively. We're to do it continually throughout our life. 
Uh, whenever we come to this passage of Scripture, what's our first concentration? As it opens up before us, it's like a, a rose that blooms before us. First of all, he says, our Father in heaven. That talks about our family. And it's interesting to me that the very first word in the Lord's Prayer is our. That means we have a Christian family. That means you're related to other people in the Christian family. Our Father in heaven. You know, the family of God is something that we do together. Families are meant to be together. But I think a lot of times what happens is people pick up this passage of Scripture and they think, okay, this prayer is for everyone. It's really just for the Christian family. It's for people who have God as their heavenly Father. Now, lest, uh, lest we... Uh, give the wrong impression today, let me say this, that there are two families in this world. And I think that even in churches like ours, people don't know this. First of all, there's the family of the devil. And I think, I, whenever you say that, it kind of rubs you the wrong way because you think, hey, that's a little heavy, isn't it? Family of the devil? You mean there are people in the family of the devil? Sure. Jesus was real specific here in John 8:44. He says this, "You are of your father the what? The devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it." Jesus said to these people, listen, you're in the devil's family. Now, I believe this. Whenever we are born into the human race, we are born into this family. We are sinners by birth, and we are sinners by choice after that. And so there is this whole idea of uh, a whole group of people born on planet Earth that are in the wrong family. That's the job of the gospel. How can we persuade people, listen, you're in the wrong family, you're going the wrong direction, you're following the wrong leader. Uh, how do we make that transition to the family of God? Well, it's pretty clear in the Bible that to change from the family of the devil to the family of God, you have to be born again. Let's say it, born again. First time we're born, we're born into the wrong family. Second time we're born from above, spiritual birth, we're born into the family of God. And uh, when we're in this family, I'll tell you what, there is a big, big difference, isn't there, between the family of God and the family of the devil. So when we open uh, the first part of this prayer, we pray to our Father. We're, we're familiar with that. We feel good with that. There's an old Roman story which tells how a Roman emperor was enjoying a triumph. He had the privilege which Rome gave to its great victors of marching his troops through the streets of Rome uh, with all his captured trophies and his prisoners in his train. So the emperor was on the march with his troops one day. The streets were lined with cheering people. The tall soldiers lined the streets, keeping people in their places. And at one point, on the triumphal route, there was a little platform where the empress and her family was sitting to watch the emperor go by in all of his pride. And on the platform was his mother there, uh, was the emperor's 
youngest son, a little boy. And as the emperor came near the little boy, he jumped off the platform as only kids would do. Uh, and he burrowed through the crowd and he tried to dodge between the legs of the soldiers to run out on the road to meet his father's chariot. The soldier stood down and stopped him and said, son, you can't do that. Uh, don't you know that uh, this is the emperor? That's his chariot. You can't run out to his chariot. And the little boy just laughed and he said, you know, he may be your emperor, but I'll tell you what, he's my dad. He's my father. You know, for years in the, in the Bible, we have read about the majesty of God, the power of God, the might of God, and I'll tell you what, when you read and reread the Old Testament, you are more convinced of that, the awesomeness of God. But Jesus said, now, whenever you come into the presence of God, I want you to look at him as your father. You know, fathers really love their kids, you know that? There's nothing on earth that a father would not do for his kid. And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, listen, we have a wonderful Father who is ready to listen to what we have to say to Him. He's not a Father removed. He's not an ale. He's not on absent without leave. He's ever present to hear you. And so we are to have a, the right attitude in our prayer time, and that's in heaven. Whenever we pray, it's heavenward. We think about the things of heaven. What a wonderful thought. Colossians 3.1 says this, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. Have you ever heard somebody say, this person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? How many people have ever heard that statement? Well, seldom is that statement true. Seldom is it true. Uh, just the opposite. People are too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. And the, and the Lord's Prayer teaches us this. Listen, we've got to get our mind in heaven. We have to take our mind off of where we are and put it on the God of heaven. And when we do that, what happens initially? Now, when we see God in all of his grandeur, it elicits from us. It uh, evokes praise on our behalf. You know, when you read the Old Testament and go through the Psalms, you just feel like, oh, man, I'm standing on holy ground. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, and that's where the next statement comes. Look at hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is an interesting word. It means not from this earth, a thing separated from earth, to withdraw from fellowship with the world by first gaining fellowship with God. And so this is what we do when we come to the Lord's Prayer. We say, okay, I'm stepping out of the earth. And I'm stepping into the presence who is one of one who is removed from this earth. None other than God Almighty. Uh, he's set apart. He's holy. And you know, this prayer means more to, more to us as the years go by. We learn about his uniqueness, his perfection and our imperfection, his wisdom and our foolishness, his power and our impotence, his love and our selfishness. And there's such an incredible contrast between who God is and who we are. And so when we come into his presence, we come with awe, the awe of the greatness of God. And every time I think of this, 
Uh, I'm directed in my mind to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. High and lifted up, sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above the throne were seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his eyes, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One said to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Whenever that happened, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Then an angel flew to him and had a live coal in his hand, which is taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he touched his lips with it. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Your iniquity is gone. And then he said, Isaiah heard the Lord. And the Lord said, who will go for me and who will we send? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah saw the Lord. And so the Lord's prayer, as simple as we think it is, is designed to capture your attention, to get you to see God in his glory and in his majesty, and begin to praise him first and foremost above all things, our Father. Our expectation is next. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, that, those two terms, they kind of look familiar. We call that parallelism. Don't try to pronounce that. You have to practice that word. Parallelism. Because in the Old Testament and, and in the Jewish world, people like to repeat themselves. And they would make one statement and then they would follow it up with another statement. And, uh, and the, the Bible's full of these things. Uh, and that's a repetition right there. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a parallelism. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, we might paraphrase this passage this way. Lord, bring in your kingdom beginning with me. And that's a good way to look at it, I think, this morning. Whenever this is our expectation, this is our goal, and this is God's agenda. God's agenda is for his kingdom to come on earth. And so what he wants you and me to do is he wants us to think kingdom thoughts. We have a new king when we are saved. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. We have a new citizenship. We have a new partnership. And when we pray this particular prayer... Uh, it uh, evokes thoughts of uh, the coming of Christ. And if you want to know something about the coming of Christ when you go home, read Revelation chapter 19. Uh, it speaks of God's kingdom. Uh, we are kingdom people. We're living, we're promoting God's kingdom. Uh, and we're learning a new way to live. When you read the New Testament, you say, hey, people on earth don't live this way. They don't. Except those who are in the kingdom of God. They live this way. Well, the earth needs a touch from heaven, and so do, so do you, and so do I. And so in the first part of the Lord's Prayer, what we're doing is we're focusing on God. And what that does is that builds our faith so that we can then deal with the needs of our life. 
I think if you were to ask people in our world, you know, how do you pray? They would probably say, well, I pray for, I need this and I need that and I need this. And there's no mention of the glory of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God. And so they have such a immature idea of how to speak to God. And so after we lift him up in our life and we see his greatness and his glory, then we, provide, we pray for our needs, our daily bread. Some people see in this a reference to Jesus. Give us today our daily bread. Give us Christ today. Uh, it speaks, though, too, of our food. Jesus wants to provide our daily bread. Jesus is concerned about our bodily needs. It's not simply just our soul salvation, but our whole salvation. The salvation of our body, the salvation of our mind, the salvation of our spirit. That's what the Lord is concerned with. Uh, pray to me for your needs. I know what needs you have. Uh, you know, whenever this was spoken, people were really into living from hand to mouth. How many people have ever heard that term? Raise your hand. Hand to mouth. Some of us are there, aren't we? That means you go to work and you get something in your hand, and as soon as you get it in your hand, it goes in your mouth. And you go back to work and you get something else in your hand from hand to mouth. And so these people were praying every day for daily bread. Uh, Deuteronomy 24:15 adds some light. The Lord says here, you must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they're counting on it. And if you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you, and it would be counted against you as sin. The Lord says, listen, you pay your people every day. These people didn't get paid on Friday. They didn't get paid every two weeks or once a month. They had to get paid every day because if they didn't get something in their hand, they couldn't feed their family. Now, whenever we read this, sometimes this, we think, well, maybe that's, that's a little far-fetched from us, right? Because when we go home and open our closets, sometimes this stuff falls out on us. Or we look in our refrigerator, depending on what day it is, and sometimes it's packed. This, isn't this a little far-fetched uh, from where we are? I don't think so. Because, you know, we are only one war away from living hand to mouth. We've been, uh, our attention has been on the Ukraine, right? Russia is moving into Crimea, taking it over, and the Ukrainians are trembling because they don't want that in the other section of their country. Just this last week, I got an email from our missionary who was on our birthday gift to Jesus offering. And this is one of his friends. He's in the States right now, but this is one of his, the native Ukrainians writing, and he explains what's going on in the Ukraine today. The economy has collapsed in the Ukraine. We're only one step away from something like... He says, and he explains in this, and I'll summarize it for you, that they had a good job, they had a regular life, and they were meeting their needs. The wife was working, the husband was working. Now he has no job and she has no job. And their needs are not being wet. He said, I have no work and my wife, because of the condition of her health now, can't work either. It was necessary for her to leave work. It's scary to think about this, but to live in this is even scarier 
War is a present reality for us right now. During this period, our family was on the brink of survival, just like a lot of people that you and I know. We're just surviving. We're just hoping we get paid on Friday. Before that, we were on the brink of survival because there is no work now. We cannot provide for our family's needs. When I read that last line, my heart sank. We cannot provide for our family's needs. Do you know what happens in America when a big snowstorm breaks out and they report at the grocery stores? All the groceries are gone. Just think how something like that could happen. Our source is got to be God. These people in Ukraine today are depending on God to feed them. He said, listen, you come to me, I'm your heavenly father. We're going to figure something out here. And then he talks about forgiveness. Uh, I want you to pray for forgiveness. Forgive our sins. Uh, he calls them here in this passage debts. What's that mean? All sin places us in debt to God. A debt with with divine justice. Um, thank God today the message of the church is this. When Jesus died upon the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin and our debt was canceled. Your debt to God who is the judge was canceled when you place your faith and trust in the living Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, and I've told you this numerous times, he said, it is finished. You're well aware of that. But the Greek term is the term tetelestai. And if you were to go to uh, Greece today and go down in the marketplace and buy one of their trinkets, and the proprietor filled out a receipt, he would write on there, tetelestai. And tetelestai means paid in full. And maybe if you had to show customs that you paid for this item, you show the receipt, paid in full. Well, that's what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. When he died on the cross, he paid the complete debt for our sins. Uh, now, this forgiveness, I said that to say this, that's called judicial forgiveness. God is the judge. We stand before him, and the judge said, uh, you are acquitted from your sins because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this passage here in Matthew chapter 6 is not talking about judicial forgiveness. It's talking about family forgiveness. It's talking about our sins after we are saved, not before. After we are saved. Uh, remember uh, the story of David in the Bible, Psalm 51 4. David came to God after he had violated Bathsheba and caused the death of her husband Uriah. He came to God and this is what he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. God, I've sinned against you and I know it. Uh, the same thing happened with the prodigal son, remember? He said, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I've sinned against God and you. There are two kinds of forgiveness in the Bible. Our initial forgiveness, that's called judicial forgiveness. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, uh, we have been acquitted of our sins, set free from the penalty of our sins. And that's a wonderful thought. 
You do not have to stand at the judgment bar of God ever because Jesus did that when he died upon the cross for your sins. He's the one that pushed you out of the way because this speeding freight train was coming down the track at full speed, ready to take you out. Jesus said, let me take it. I'll do it for you. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we appropriate. We appropriate that to our soul. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible has many images to describe that. Micah 7.19 says that he has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. I was reading the Drudge Report, as I do almost every day. And uh, the headline was uh, the over 200 passengers on the Malaysian Airline Flight 370 were now 23,000 feet under the sea. Well, that's the image that God uses when he forgives our sins. That's a long way under the sea. Uh, he, as far as the east is from the west, he says in Psalm 103, verse 12, he has removed our transgressions from us. Well, we are forgiven because of the grace and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, this passage in Matthew chapter 6 is about family forgiveness once we are saved. When we are saved, we don't cease to be sinners. Judicially, we are not. But practically, we are. And so that's where 1 John 1, 7 through 9 comes in. It says this, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's talking about family forgiveness. That's talking about the things that you do, do that are wrong and the things that I do that are wrong. And the Lord says, listen, I want you to come every day to me and I want you to lay out your issues with me, things that you have done, and let me cleanse you. And what that means is to lift the burden of guilt off of you because when a Christian does something that offends God and is against God's word, it convicts us and we're burdened and it hurts us and we don't know what to do about it. We lost our temper and we, uh, we really had a problem in, at the office and we, we drug the name of the Lord down in the gutter and we feel so bad and how are we to go on? How can I face anybody now after doing that? Well, the Lord says, you come to me and talk about it and I'll take the burden off of, the, off of you. I'll somehow miraculously lift the burden of your guilt from you so that you can go on. You can go back to work tomorrow some way. You can apologize to people. They'll accept your apology. Well, we have plenty of things for which to pray, ask the Lord to forgive us, right? Uh, how many times do we run to God for his forgiveness? Uh, and we expect him to forgive us. Uh, and he says, listen, now I expect you to forgive other people the same way. Now follow me. Uh, forgiveness sometimes is hard to do. We, we, uh, it's pretty natural to hold grudges, isn't it, for a long time? But we can't do that. How many times has people come to you and say, hey, let it go? 
You ever had anybody use that term? Just let it go. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just let it go. And then you respond by saying, I never thought that person could do that to me. After all I've done for them. And that's, sometimes that's the case, isn't it? Someone told me just the other day that uh, a good deed never goes unpunished. Never does. Sometimes the people you help the most, you go the farthest distance with them, and you give your soul to them, and you don't build up any credit with them, do you? A good deed never goes unpunished. Well, that's just the way it is. Uh, but forgiveness means releasing them from your anger. You know, anger is an awful thing. Uh, letting them go their way and you going their way. Uh, forgiving them, relieving them from your anger. Just let them go on. Uh, and and uh, letting them go on, don't plot vengeance against them. Whenever something bad happens to someone who hurts you, don't get excited about it and say, oh, did you hear that? They're getting theirs. Don't do that. Just turn it over to God because, you know, he's really good at balancing books. That's why he tells us in the Bible, don't avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, God is really good at that. Just let them live their life. You live your life and go on with your life. Don't spend your whole life looking in the rearview mirror because you're going to crash. You can't go forward doing that. There has to be some complete forgiveness. And that doesn't mean that you feel good about the whole situation. That just means you go on with your life. That's all. On with your life. And when, the, and when those temptations come to you to, to be angry and to be mad and hostile toward people who hurt you, move on. Get away from those thoughts. Think on those things that are better than that. Don't indulge yourself in that. Because not only that hurts you a whole lot more than it hurts them, doesn't it? When we carry that baggage. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. When we come to the Lord, we expect him to forgive us, right? We don't come and lay out all of our issues and say, well, I don't think God's going to forgive me. We expect forgiveness because we believe in God, right? And he says, listen here, whenever you pray for personal forgiveness, I want you to be on it on the basis of you forgiving other people. You forgive them like I forgive you. And you know when you do that, life gets a whole lot simpler. And you can go on with the rest of your life. And then there's one last thing, and that's our protection. Keep us from temptation and the evil one. Uh, this is an outline that you can pray by and I can pray by. And uh, it's good for every area of our life. And, and let's face it today. We're trying to learn how to live a new way, aren't we? This is kingdom living. This is not living in the gutter of the world. This is living in such a way that people will be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way you live. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us think today about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our Father in heaven. Which family are you in today? Well, if you're 
when we're born, we're born into the devil's family. And if we're born again, we're reborn by the Spirit of God into God's family. But if you've never made that choice of accepting Christ as your Savior, listen, you're in the wrong family, going the wrong direction toward the wrong destination. Come to Christ. Join the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then begin to discover in your Bible the glory of God, the greatness of God, who He is, and, and worship Him, how it would be His name. And then set out with this band of Christians in the church to be kingdom livers. That'll be our expectation together. Lord, that your will will be done in my life. Not my will, but your will. And I'll depend upon you for my daily bread. And, and then, Lord, I'll ask you to forgive my sins as I forgive others of theirs. And you'll give me the power in some way to do this because you've never asked us to do anything that you wouldn't give us power to do. And so let's just let God speak to our heart, especially in the area of forgiveness this morning. There are things that you've been carrying for a long time, and I'll tell you, it's really heavy, isn't it? I mean, it just never goes away. You have to lay it down. You have to lay it down. Jesus will give you the strength to lay it down. He really will. Everybody has scars. Everybody has pain. But we have to go on. And we, have to, we need the help of the Lord to do that. And so uh, maybe you have a list of people in your mind that you've never forgiven for some harm that they've done to you in the past. And maybe you need to just ask the Lord one by one, Lord, help me to go on. Let me to release them from my anger. Help me, help me not only to be not angry with them, but help me in some way to love them. Help me to love them because you love them. Dear Lord, uh, as we look into this new way of living, it uh, in some areas frightens us because it's so diametrically opposed to the conduct of the world. Uh, I just pray that you'll help us to piece by piece pick up these pieces and begin to enjoy the fruit of them all in our life. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to be your people. And uh, we, we pray that you will help us this next week to be kingdom people, people who are living in expectation of your will being done in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Well, I hope you were encouraged today by all that went on in the service. Uh, Felix is going out there in the back. Those books, by the way, are $10. And uh, they're little missionary books. You can give them out to your friends. So enjoy. Meet him back there. God bless you. Let's all stand together, please. Turn around and shake hands with a number of people in the church. God bless you. You're dismissed.